to start by saying that for some reason, the idea of conflict in our culture is, is like the way you should handle it is to like avoid it at all costs, right? So many people that I know, young people, old people, they're like, oh man, can you believe they did that? I'm so mad at them and they never ever say anything about it at all. And if you're feeling a little bit like seen and offended right now, that's okay. Um, because when we read through God's word, honestly, guys, it should, it should cause us to look at ourselves and go, is this the way that I'm living or is this calling me out in some way? And conflict in our culture has this very negative connotation, right? All conflict is bad. You shouldn't say anything. You might offend somebody. You might hurt their feelings, right? And that's, that's just not what the Bible has to say about this at all, even in its simplest form, just some sort of simple disagreement. Maybe you've got a roommate, right? Maybe somebody keeps leaving the toilet seat up and you're like, just put the toilet seat down. Like it's not that difficult. Maybe somebody uses all the milk or all finishes the cheese or whatever it is in your fridge. You're like, just say something, right? Or maybe you live with that person who's just a complete slob. You know what I'm talking about, right? Maybe it's you. Maybe it's not. And what tends to happen is when there is this opportunity for conflict, we just avoid it. When I first got married, um, Rebecca, my wife, um, and I lived with this other guy who went to Ecclesia. So we were married, we had a bedroom, and then he also lived in the house. And he was just not, I'll just be polite and say he was not the tidiest person. And I, having recently been a bachelor, was also not the tidiest person. So Rebecca moves into the house, is like, what is wrong with you people? Why is this happening? Now, we are married, so she has every license and right in the world to go, hey, husband, you're being disgusting. <laughs> However, our roommate, who up until that point had paid a larger share of the rent than I did, she felt like she could not say anything. So what do you do when something's annoying you, but you can't say anything? you get passive aggressive. You know what I'm talking about? You do. You do because we all do it. We all do it. We all take those things and go, man, that annoys the crap out of me. It's so frustrating. And you try and just like circumvent the situation. If it's somebody being messy, you just spend all day picking up after them. And then by the end of the day, you're like, are you going to do anything? Your anger has gone from here because it's a little thing all the way up to here because we don't address conflict. And that's a problem. That's a problem. Some of you in here might be Enneagram nines, right? The peacemaker, you're conflict avoidant almost to a fault. You don't want to deal with it. Somebody starts arguing. You get frustrated. You leave the room. Being in the presence of conflict gives you anxiety. Does that relate to anybody? Have you guys ever been in the room when your parents fight? And you're just like, I don't know what to say right now. Like, that's not my relationship. I'm not going to step into that. I'm just going just to, like, just disappear, right? And sometimes it happens with your friends and all those sorts of things. Conflict is something that is all around us in the relationships and friendships that you have, but also in the ones that are adjacent to you. It is a part of life. Conflict is the basis of movies and TV show, TV shows. I don't know why I paused right there. Have you guys ever seen a movie where there was absolutely no conflict at all? No, you haven't, because those movies don't exist, because they get you to watch them because of the conflict. 
whether it's a Marvel movie or Gilmore Girls, you watch it because of the struggle in the show, right? It, like the entire thing builds up to this moment. It builds up to this premise where just like, this is what's happening. And there's this tension and the music gets like, you know, and I'll, I'll watch a lot, uh, a lot of Law and Order SVU. And it's got that dun dun. And like, there's always that moment where like the music just gets really, really creepy and you get uneasy and it's building all this tension, all this tension. And you're like, please just solve the problem. I want to see what happens. But in real life, we don't want to deal with that, right? Conflict is all around us. It's all over scripture. Literally the entirety of the Bible is God trying to, in the Old Testament, point his people to Jesus and they just keep rebelling against God and failing. He keeps setting this expectation. Guys, just do this. Let me help you do this. And they just keep saying, God, we don't want to do that. Or they ignore him altogether. And this is the God of all creation. He has every right to just like poof. There's the flood, there's Sodom and Gomorrah, there's these different times where God's like, you guys just don't get it. And there's this conflict and that's how he deals with conflict. But the entire time, he's pointing to something greater in the New Testament. He's pointing to grace and mercy through Jesus. But Jesus doesn't shy away from conflict. Tonight, I wanna break down conflict into two main categories. There are healthy ways to have conflict and there are very, very, very unhealthy ways to have conflict. And because it's all around us and we deal with it so often or sometimes we just avoid it as much as we do, unhealthy conflict is probably the most common. When you deal with people who are selfish at one time or another and like we've all been there, right? We've all been in a situation where we're looking like, what do we have to get out of this thing? And conflict hurts. When I say healthy and unhealthy conflict, I'm not saying that like some of the conflict is like, man, this is the best day ever. We've just been fighting and just like arguing and like, I love it. If you've got a brother or a sister, you've grown up with conflict. My youngest brother is nine years younger than me, and then we've got one in the middle who's two years younger than me, seven years from the, uh, from the other one. And when we were little, um, I say when we were little, when I was like probably 10 or 11, I would have to babysit the two younger ones. And my middle brother would terrorize my youngest brother. And when I say terrorize, I literally mean chase him around the house and just throw stuff at him. And me being the perfect older brother that I am, who was, had my youngest brother's best interests at heart, would fight and fight and fight and beat the snot out of my other brother. Until it got to a point where like, I was not like, I'm big and you're little. It was like, we're the same size. We stopped growing. We like hit this. And then we would literally fist fight in the backyard. And one day I was watching the two of them. My youngest brother comes running through and he's like, ah! He's screaming. He's probably five or six years old. My other brother's chasing. So I start chasing my middle brother who's chasing my youngest brother. And it literally looks like Tom and Jerry and then the dog chasing. Like the three of us just running around the house. And it ends up, or my brother ends up on one side of the table and I'm on the other side of the table. And we just kind of keep juking each other until I pick up this cup and I just chuck it at my brother. And he ducks, which is probably great for his forehead except I hit the window right behind it and just shattered it. 
boom. And my mom was walking up the driveway at that moment, and she hears, and her immediate thought is, one of my children's head just went through a window. And me and my brother, as much as we were fighting, there was this conflict, that will unite you two faster than anything else, right? Lie to mom above all else. And he knew I was a better storyteller. So I walk out and it was like, I was chasing Jared. He slipped, he punched the wall and then this and that. And my mom's like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have to take a kid to the emergency room. And then my youngest brother, who's five, walks out and goes, Ryan threw a sippy cup at Jared and hit the window and broke the window. And I was like, (laughs) now all of my anger, all my frustration is channeled at this five-year-old child, right? I'm 15 years old. That's not a fair fight. No matter what sort of conflict it is, I was like, yes. There's no line to get out of this one. But I will remember that until you die, young man. Like, I, I'm 31 years old. That happened literally 16 years ago, and I'm still frustrated about it because I had to do all sorts of chores and all this other stuff to make up for it. Conflict is this thing that surrounds our lives. And the lying sometimes is our first response to get out of it. We point fingers, we point blame. That's not my fault. That's on somebody else, right? And that just snowballs and snowballs and snowballs, and it, it, it becomes something that it never had to be in the first place. If we go all the way back to the book of Genesis, right? Creation. Genesis, I don't know, creation, like a, magi- a magician. In Genesis chapter 2, God creates man and woman. And then in Genesis 3, we see the fall, right? And the serpent's talking to Eve, to the woman. And he's like, hey, you see that, uh, that tree over there? You should, uh, you should eat from it. And Eve's like, heck no, dude. This is my translation of the Bible. She goes, heck no. I'm not eating from that tree. The serpent says, why not? What's the big deal? And Eve goes, God said, if I do that, I will die. The serpent goes, did God really say that you would die? He starts confusing her. And he goes, no, no, no. What's going to happen is if you eat from that tree, you guys know what he says? He says, you will be like God. Now, we don't get any sort of timetable, right? This wasn't a TV show. This is Eve pondering and going, well, that sounds pretty good. Because there's one thing that most people want more than anything else, and that is control. Have you guys ever felt out of control and it's just so overwhelming, you don't know what else to do? In this moment, the serpent tempts Eve and he says, you can have control. You can have everything. You can be like God. And that, that selfishness, that arrogance that, that kind of creeps into Eve. Yeah, I can be like God. God created everything. Maybe I can be like God. God spoke into existence. God tells the animals what to eat. He tells me what to do. I can be like God. And if you know how it ends, she convinces her husband, Adam, to do the same thing. He eats from the tree, and then it says that God comes looking for them. And when it says that God comes looking for them, it's not because God didn't know where they were, right? It's not like they pulled a fast one on God. It says God comes looking for them And in the midst of this conflict, God addresses it outright. And he says, you have sinned. I told you you could eat from any tree here in the garden except that one. And immediately, you guys know what Adam does? He goes, it's her fault, dude. She made me do it. The woman, how dare you give me this person who convinced me to sin? And there's punishment 
for both Adam and Eve. Guys, the conflict between friends, between a boyfriend and a girlfriend or a husband and a wife, like it's going to come. It is. And conflict, especially within friendships, can be over all sorts of things. And some of those things are justified. I'm not saying you can never get angry. I remember being in, uh, in high school, I was hanging out with a friend of mine. Um, I had spent the night at his house and he was like, hey, I've been texting this girl all day and we're gonna go hang out. Um, with some other friends. So it wasn't just like the two of them. It was like a group thing. And he goes, you got to go home. And I was like, I'm not going to like invite myself. Like that's also just as rude. And and I just kind of left and I was like, dude, this blows. Like, I hate this. And I remember I went home and I was like really sad. My mom could tell. And she was like, what's wrong? And I was like, people, people suck sometimes. Right? If you've ever met a person, you can probably agree with me that like, (laughs) People are not the greatest at times. There's going to be conflict. I didn't hang out with that guy for six months. One day he was like, hey, what's wrong? And I was like, well, I was like, I've been, I was at your house and you like kicked me out to go hang out with these other people. And he's like, oh, well, like, I didn't think you'd want to go. And I was like, why didn't you ask? Maybe you've been that person where like you find out that like a big group of your best friends are hanging out without you, but you never get the invite. And you're just like, even if I had to work, it would be nice to just get asked here and there, right? There is going to be conflict, but that unhealthiness comes when you think you're right and you don't address anyone else. Because when you don't address it, when you don't come and say, hey, this happened, can we talk this out for a few minutes? When you, when you don't have that communication, what does it tend to breed? Bitterness, anger, frustration. And have you guys ever been angry to the point where like you can't even think straight? Like those things will happen where you're just like, you're fuming, right? You don't know what to do. And like, you like start saying things that you don't mean. You start wishing things on them. Like I wish they would stub their toe while riding their bike across the street. And like, uh, like, that's the polite way to put it, right? I get bad road rage personally, just being honest with you guys. And for a long time, my friends would be like, dude, you need to chill out. And I was like, but that guy just cut me off. And we're like, yeah, he doesn't care and you shouldn't either. And I was like, but like, I want him to get a flat tire so bad. Like I wouldn't wish anything like actually dangerous on them, just something like really inconvenient. <laughs> because like, I don't want to like hurt somebody, right? That would like, that's also not okay. That's the, not the right way to handle conflict, right? That's like throwing a sippy cup at your brother and breaking a window. Like nobody wins in that situation. Like, man, I wish they would like skin their knee climbing into bed at night because they have sharp sheets. Like, that's not a thing. But like, just, just so, so frustrated. And if somebody cut you, anybody else in here get road rage? You can't talk to that person, can you? I mean, you can, but I don't recommend you like cruise up next to them, roll down the window and start yelling at them. Right, there's a universal sign for I'm mad at you while I'm driving, and like that's up to you guys if you guys are doing that, right? I'm talking about honking the horn, obviously. Sure. (laughs) But what we get to is this point where this anger will blind us. 
And if you're never having a conversation about it, you never really get to the truth and to the heart of the problem. When you don't address conflict, it becomes gossip. Which scripture is also very clear that like gossip, like spilling the tea as much as we love it, is sinful. That is not of God. As Jesus followers, you and I are held to a higher standard when it comes to interacting and dealing with people who upset us and frustrate us. And guys, I've literally been a part of friendships and relationships where you never address the elephant in the room, you never talk about the thing, and the friendships fall apart. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. It says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every, um, every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen, go to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be given, uh, or shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Right? This passage literally says, if someone frustrates you, if somebody does something to you, if there is conflict, you need to go and talk to them. And in case you didn't catch it, it says, between you and him alone. How many of us in here, when somebody frustrates us, the first thing we do is we go to that person? Not at all. We complain to somebody else about it. We talk about it. Maybe we get two or three people involved, and you're like, can you believe this? I'm so mad at them. I'm so frustrated. And I'm not saying, like, venting is a bad thing. But we react, which is super dangerous. We just react. This thing happens, we react, we go start telling people, it becomes this much bigger thing and the gossip enters the situation and like, have you guys ever realized that when you're like frustrated and angry, you exaggerate stories? You know what I'm talking about? Like it goes from like, man, they forgot to like, if it's your roommate, man, they forgot to like pick something up on my side of the room one time and you start telling the story and like six or seven people in, it's like they walked in and they dumped the entire trash can all over my room. They're a slob, they're a pig. I hate living with them. We're not even friends anymore. Like, and it just escalates and escalates and escalates. Jesus says, go and between you and that person alone, talk about the issue. And then it says, if they don't listen, bring somebody else into the conversation. And it says two or three witnesses, other people who know the situation, not just who know your side of the situation. Because a lot of times in conflict, we think we're right, right? That's, that's where it starts. And I'm not saying you're not right ever. Sometimes you may be in the right, but depending on how you handle it, you can just as easily be in the wrong. Guys, healthy conflict, the inverse side of not dealing with it is addressing it. I had a guy come up to me at church on Sunday. He helps uh, load some of our chairs into a trailer. And he says, hey, Ryan, we got those new trailer hitches a little while ago, and I'm, I'm in charge of the trailers and stuff. And he goes, you know, the trailer hitch is, is pretty high up, and it's causing this chair, this trailer, to lean back really far. So every time I open the trailer, the chair rack wants to roll out and destroy me. And he's not lying, because this chair rack is not light. It weighs about as much as a Toyota Corolla does. Like, this is a large chair rack. And he goes, can we do something about that? And I was like, 
yeah, totally. And he goes, yeah, I should have said something like a little while ago, but like, it's just like, if there's a reason for it, that's fine, I'll deal with it. But if not, can we fix that? And I told him, I said, dude, thank you for saying something. Because if you don't know something's wrong, are you ever going to change it or fix it? Absolutely not. You cannot expect something to change. You cannot expect a conflict to go away unless you address it. Just before Jesus tells them this in Matthew 18, we get to, uh, in verse 1 actually, it says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. This is Jesus' disciples, right? The guys that like, in a lot of ways, wrote the Bible, like the best, the, like Jesus' crew. And they're like, Jesus, which one of us is the best? It's like asking your parents, like, mom, which one of us do you love the most? And most of you, your parents are like, oh, I love you all equally, but in different ways. That's a cop-out. That just means it's not you. Um, just kidding, maybe. But then some of your parents are like, no, I clearly have a favorite child, right? So, Jesus, which one of us is the best? It says, and Jesus, uh, and calling to him a child, he says, come here, dude, little guy. He puts him in the front of them. He says, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Of heaven. Jesus said, you want to find out which one of you is the best? Which one of you is the most humble? And this is not like an opportunity for them to be like, oh, Jesus, I'm the most humble, right? Because like immediately, like immediately, no. <laughs> he says, whoever, whoever humbles himself, right? When you're a little kid, your mom and dad tell you something. How often do you get to say no? Not never. Because little kids say no all the time. Have you ever been around a three-year-old? It's like they don't know any other word. <laughs> like, sit down, no. Eat your food, no. Play with toys, no. No, 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 no. And what happens to the parent in that situation? They're like, bro, no. Because they don't want that conflict. Jesus says, You've got to humble yourself. When you're a little kid, you take direction for those, from those in authority. You're not trying to be like, I'm the best, I'm better than you. It's, it's, the comparative nature goes away. And, and when you're in conflict with somebody else, when you're arguing or fighting, if you take a moment and just pause, take a deep breath and go, what's really going on here? Pray about it. Like, guys, you would be amazed the impact that, and I'm not just saying like somebody cuts you off and you're like, God, I really want to know why they did that. And I wish you would just like, this is not like a prayer of retaliation. That's not actually prayer. That's just you voicing your concern that you absolutely know will not happen. No, guys, literally, God, give me peace that comes from you. Give me patience. Help me understand what is happening. Because if it leads to that anger, if it leads to that blind rage, like nothing good will come from that. Take a moment, pause, breathe, and pray. And then decide, is this something you actually need to address or not? All throughout the Bible, all throughout the Bible, you will see the writers of Scripture 
talking about conflict. Revelation chapter 2. We're in the book of Revelation on Sunday, so if you guys haven't been coming, you definitely should. The podcast is out if you want to get caught up. And then we had a separate podcast just covering some of these different things that you'll encounter in the book of Revelation. But in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, right, we see that John is writing these letters to these churches. In chapter, 12, uh, chapter 2, verse 12, it says, And to the angel of the church of Pergamum, Right, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Talking about, talking about Jesus, right? He says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. If you've got Jesus saying to you, you dwell where Satan's throne is, is that like an attaboy, good job, keep going? Or is that like a, you've missed it in literally every single way possible? He says, you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of uh, Antipas, and my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells, right? So he calls him out. He said, there was one point where you guys were like on it, and then you have completely lost it. This is John addressing conflict. There is an issue here, and it needs to be addressed. And now John is, is, in essence, is a pastor here, right? He's exiled at this moment. He's writing these letters to these churches, but he's speaking with authority. If you were part of the early church, you have definitely heard of John, right? One of Jesus' closest disciples, one of the guys that, that was literally there when Jesus died. His words have power. But here's the thing, guys, in the relationships and friendships that you have, your words have power, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, this is a guy named Paul writing. Now, Paul had traveled all over and he had started all of these different churches. And in 1 Corinthians uh, 1, verse 10, he, um, he says, I appeal to you, brothers. He's saying like, hey, we're all in this together. My family, my friends, this church that I planted. He said, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there is no divisions among you, that you may be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. This is not even conflict that Paul is in, but he is in this position of authority and responsibility, and he hears about the conflict, and he addresses it. And he reaches out, and he guys, look, guys, just take a minute. What's going on here? The way that we deal with conflict can have a huge impact on the outcome. And honestly, we'll determine if we're responding to it healthy or not. Guys, so often we just run away from conflict because we don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We don't want to offend them. And I'm not saying that you should dive in headfirst to every argument like a beach ball at a Justin Bieber concert. Like you are not trying <laughs> to argue and fight with people just for the sake of arguing and fighting with people. Because if you want to find a really quick way to not be a good friend and to not have any friends left, just pick fights and see what happens. But how do you address conflict? How do you do it? Because I know some of you guys in here have recently have struggled, like things that you've been struggling with, arguments, all these different things, and some of us just don't know what to do with that information. We're just like, I'm just going to leave it. Maybe it will solve itself. When has that ever worked? When does it ever work for you to just be like, maybe if I ignore it, it will go away? Guys, approaching conflict with humility and with respect 
will get you such a different outcome than literally anything else. Because if you approach it with hostility and you go, why did you do that? I can't believe you, 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 you. Then their response is going to be, no, 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 you, 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 right? Because there's two sides to every story. A lack of communication will cause conflict that nobody knows how to solve. When you communicate, when you have a conversation, when you engage with that, knowing that the outcome of this could be really good or it could be a stalemate, right? It could be something that like, I don't know what's gonna happen at the end of it. That doesn't mean that you should be afraid of it. Because in reality, what you do in the friendships that you have right now, and this isn't a dating series, but we're gonna get there, is, is it will train the way that you interact in your future marriage or with your partner or whatever it is, right? As you have conversations in marriage, like my wife and I, our first year or so of marriage, like everybody's like, oh, our first year was like a honeymoon phase. No, our first year was garbage. It was terrible. We argued all the time. We lived in a 600 square foot apartment, like a studio apartment. You can't even slam a door in a studio apartment. Like, what do you do when you get mad? She would literally just go sit in the bathtub because it was like our couch and then like a, a half wall and then our bed and the kitchen was a hallway. So she would just go sit in the bathtub because like, we don't want to talk about it right now. And there are things that like we fought over that like she contributed to. And there are things that we fought over that I contributed to. And there were things that we both did where it would cause an argument. But we made this commitment before we got married. And I actually got this from one of our pastors, Ian. He said, when you apologize, don't just say, I'm sorry. Because if somebody does something to you and they say, I'm sorry, what's your response? It's okay. But is it okay? No. So we trained ourselves in our marriage to say, I apologize. Will you forgive me? That's acknowledging your own fault, your own responsibility, and yet asking for forgiveness. Because that's what Jesus came to do. Is Jesus came to bring grace and forgiveness. We've been married over five years, and we still fight. Not, all, not like we did the first year. That was gnarly, guys. It was crazy. I wish that anybody. And my wife would tell you the same thing. Because nobody likes to be in conflict. The other day, we got into an argument and, and, and she said, I just need some space. Because that's an appropriate response. Because what did I tell you guys that we should do? We should stop. We should breathe. We should take it to the Lord and say, what's really happening here? And then when you're level-headed, you come back into the conversation and you try and find out what's really going on. Guys, conflict is all around us. If you're not in it right now, you will be. Like, that's a promise. Not that I'm trying to pick a fight with you. I mean, I can do that to be like, right, but like, I'm not gonna do that. But ultimately, like, conflict, conflict is what moves, moves the world. Conflict strengthens relationships when, when you respond to it in a healthy manner, but it will destroy and tear down relationships that you have when you avoid it. Because in reality, when you avoid conflict, you're not actually, a, like, getting rid of the problem, right? You're just delaying the response. When I was in college, I had this pastor. Um, our lead pastor had, had gotten a new job. So we had this guy who came in um, as like an interim for a little while. And he was this old dude. He was already like 80. And he was, I'm from the South. I'm from Louisiana. And he was this old dude from Mississippi. 
And he had all these weird things he would say. And he was trying to train our church in some of these things. Because our church had a lot of conflict in it. Every church has conflict in it. Because you get a big group of people together, what are they going to do? They're going to fight. They're going to argue. And he asked our church every single week, what's the preferred way of dealing with sin? And he would literally call on people in the church. What's the preferred way of dealing with sin? Oh, you should pray about it when you're done. Oh, you should, uh, you should apologize when you, when you do something. Those are great, but that's not the best way to deal with sin. Finally, he says, the preferred, the best way to deal with sin is to avoid sinning in the first place. I'm like, oh, I didn't realize that was an option. <laughs> and you can try and be a very humble and just gracious and just like calm person. But that doesn't mean that you're never going to experience conflict. You can't just avoid it and make it go away. So when it comes, when it happens, when conflict arises in whatever relationship you are in. The best thing to do is, is literally to take a breath, to breathe, and to address the conflict. Because until you do, it will, like I said, it will create in you this anger, this frustration that, that will bleed into other areas of your life. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You go into work, you go into this other situation, and they're like, what's wrong? Like, people can tell, right? Like, if something's going on and you, like, walk up to somebody and you're, like, just, like, angry, if you're on edge, right? Like, you can sense that. We had a friend who, who recently came to stay with us, and they're just, like, a pretty stressed-out person in general, and our dog is not a fan of them. Because our dog can literally sense the stress. And through the course of that, they became less stressed out and less stressed out. By the end of it, the dog was like, hey, what's up? Throw the ball. We're best friends. But going into it, it can sense like this, this, all this weight, all this stuff you're taking into it. And unless you're addressing it, it's not going to go away. Ultimately, as Jesus followers, we are called to a different standard when it comes to conflict. We can't just live by the... The, the cultural, just avoid it and it will go away. You can't just be afraid of hurting someone's feelings at all times. You shouldn't want to hurt someone's feelings, but sometimes you just need to tell people. When we have conflict, guys, the most important thing is that we don't just jump into it, but we respond in a humble way. Right? Jesus addresses conflict all throughout the Old Testament, the New Testament. Like the world is just kind of built on conflict. But you'll never find resolution. will never be over if you avoid it. So just like I prayed earlier, guys, I hope that, that as we get into conflict, whether it's with a roommate or a friend or a boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, whoever it is, that you don't just wait for it to be over and you don't rush into it and just like attack, attack, attack because that's not, that's not gonna fix it either. We've got to approach it from this humble perspective and saying, saying what, what's happening here? It's that communication piece. 